We're going to study a Mishnah from Perak Bet, chapter 2. It's actually a series of Mishnayot. And uh, Perak Bet is very organized the way that it's structured. You basically have uh, the five students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who also is a very, uh, very interesting, uh, interesting figure in the time of the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash, for those who've spent time in the city of Yavne. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is, is buried there. Ben and Jerry's is there, that's right, that's right. There's two famous things, in, oh, it's three, I think Waze is there. Ben and Jerry's is there, and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's uh, grave is in, uh, is in Yavne. Um, and uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the one who essentially told the Roman emperor they smuggled his body out in a coffin outside of, the, outside of the Jerusalem. There was a siege on Jerusalem. They got him out of the city. He went to meet with the Roman emperor and he said that uh, please let us have the city of Yavne. Let us continue this Jewish story and, and Judaism and Torah, you know, a Torah community. Even though if Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, let us at least have you know, a continuation of this, of this, uh, and people criticized him for that, for that decision. He could have asked maybe for Jerusalem to not be destroyed, but he, he didn't do that, and he asked for Yavne uh, instead, and uh, Yavne has an interesting history. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of things that have been found there as well that, uh, that tell us a little bit more about his life. So he had five students. They're listed here in source number one. Elohein, Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkonus, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanani, Rabbi Yossi Kohen, Rabbi Shimon ben Atanel, Rabbi Lazar ben Arach. And it's a beautiful uh, Mishnah, actually, because it, it tells us a lot about education, and I think uh, education and, and parenting as well, um, which is that he was Monesh Shivchan, that, that he, he sung their praises, and he spoke about each of them uh, in a very loving way, each one each one unique and each one contributing their own talents and and uh, and abilities to you know to uh, to society and to to the community uh, and it wasn't about uh, wasn't about everybody has to you know fit into one box or, or go go down one specific path and he asked them I want you to sort of come up with your own way of understanding the world understanding uh, what's what what you think is what do you what do you what do you all think is is a, is a good sort of central core worldview or, or path in life. That's what he asked them. Go forth and observe which is the right way to which a man should cleave. So each one gave their own nusach. Each one gave their own understanding, their own approach. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, we're going to focus on this one, but we'll just go through them quickly. Ayin Tova, Ayin Tova, which... Yeah, we'll translate it just in the English as a good eye, but we're gonna we'll say a little bit more about that uh, in a few moments. Then you have Rabbi Yoshua Omer Chaver Tov, okay, a good friend. Rabbi Yossi Omer Shachen Tov, a good neighbor. Rabbi Shimon Omer Haroet Anolad, a person who sees the the consequences of, of one's actions. Rabbi Elazar Omer Lev Tov, and Rabbi Elazar says a good heart, and then, and then he says, well, now that you've told me the good path, what do you all think is the the path to avoid? which path of life is, is best to avoid. And then each one essentially, again, speaks out more or less the opposite of what they said in the, fir- in the first part of the equation. So where Rabbi Eliezer said, Ayin Tova, he said, Ayin Ra'ah. 
which we'll which we'll see in a minute. Here, evil eye. It's not a great translation. We'll we'll go a little bit more into what that means. A minute, chaver tov, chaver ra, shachin tov, shachin ra, so on and so forth. They actually all don't say the opposite of what they said in the first part, but uh, that's a, that's a discussion for for another time. We're going to look at the the topic of Rabbi Eliezer Omer ayin tova and ayin ra. On the simplest level, the concept of ayin tova means that if I see somebody else succeeding, I see somebody else having a good life, good things, nice things in their life. Let's talk about it as even in the material sense or just general general hatzlacha, um, with work, with family, with social, whatever it could be. And instead of sort of saying, well, I wish I had that in my own life, you are happy for them. And you derive satisfaction when you see somebody else, uh, when you see in Israel, they call it lefargen. Um, uh, so, which is actually a Yiddish word, but they yeah. they turned it. It's a firgun. Firgun is a Yiddish word. Uh, but uh, but to derive satisfaction from somebody else's um, you know somebody else's success. And ayin ra'a on the simple level is jealousy. It's the concept of person is basically disturbed by the success and wealth of others. So you see that you're not happy to see that it bothers you. You have ayin ra'ah. I mean, we can understand what the concept of evil eye and how that's connected to it, but we're not going to speak about the evil eye right now. We're going to speak about the concept of ayin ra'ah and go in a very different direction because if you look at other sources, which is what we're going to do uh, this evening, the concept of ayin ra'ah actually goes far beyond the idea of jealousy and it's connected more to the concept of being stingy. What we're going to see, we're going to go through a number of examples of this and hopefully develop something that I think uh, will really uh, kind of give us some, some sometimes hard questions to ask, but good questions to ask ourselves about, about the lives that we're living. And the, the, the point here begins with the Gemara, Masechet Baba Batra, it's in source number two. The Gemara is debating the following question. It's a good one for uh, anybody who's ever rented or purchased a home in Israel. Um, so when you, when you are going through that experience, um, the question is that you might ask the seller or the person who's renting the home, well, what's included? What am I getting with the home? Okay, what's going to be inside of it when I come? Where, you know, now everybody, everybody who's ever spoken to somebody who's thinking about making Aliyah, you have to tell them, well, you know, it doesn't come with anything. Um, you just have to know, you know, it's not America, it's not London. So this is actually a machloket in the Gemara. When a person sells a home, do they sell it with an ayin yafa or an ayin ra'a? What does that mean? So Rabbi Akiva says, mocher ba'ayin yafa. Which means that when a person sells a home, they sell the home with all the contents inside. Like with the light Maybe even the light fixtures will, will so be part of it. you clear out your stuff? Just... Well, the idea, could be that, uh, the idea could be that the house comes fully furnished or it comes with some, you know, some basic uh, appliances and uh, maybe some furniture as well. Not even necessarily old furniture, but the idea is the house comes with things in it. Ayin yafa means we assume that whatever's in the house, if the person doesn't, the person isn't moving with those contents, they're going to stay in the house. They're not taking it out just to leave an empty, an empty space. And that's the opinion of Rabbi Kiva. And the Rabbanan say, Ayin ra'a mocher. Now, 
clearly it doesn't mean jealousy over here. Like we said before, the word ayin ra'az, you know, kind of connects maybe this idea of jealousy. This is about being stingy. The, the Chachamim say, no, when people sell a house, you cannot assume that you are moving into a house that is going to have beds and is going to have light fixtures or, uh, you know, or fill in the blanks of all of everybody's stories here. So, um, uh, you know, so that, that, that's, kind, that's kind of the question. But now, so, so now we're, what we're doing is we're broadening the definition of Ayn Ra'ah to include the concept of being stingy. So the question is as follows. When Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai said to his students, I want you to go out and, and share with the world what you think we're going to call uh, a worthy life. Okay? A worthy life. And you'll see, in, you'll see soon why I put a little hyphen there um, uh, in the word. Each one came up with their own sort of philosophy. Okay? One, and you have these headings. Ayin ra'ah, ayin tova. But then, in the next Mishnah, in source number three, each one of the five students comes up with three teachings. Each of them says three teachings. So let's look at the teaching of Rabbi Eliezer. And what we want to do is try to find a connection between what he said at the beginning, at the opening passage, which is Ayin Tova Ayin Ra'ah, and what he says here in the next Mishnah, in source number three, which is Mishnah Yud. So that was Mishnah Teth, this is Mishnah Yud, and here's what he writes. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Hei Mamru Shoshadrim, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Hei Chavor Chavarcha, Chaviv Alecha Keshelach. So number one, the honor, the dignity that you give to another person should be dear to you and, and important to you, just like your own honor. Okay? It's not just about the dignity that you want other people to, to have toward you, but it's, it's sharing that and, and wanting that and doing that on behalf, of, on behalf of other people. That's point number one, he says. Point number two, al tehi noach lichos. This is a really important one. Don't get easily angried. Don't get easily angered. Be in control of your emotions. We'll, we'll go into each of these a little bit further in a moment. And the third, v'shuv yomachad lifnei mitatcha. And you should do teshuvah one day before you die. One day before you pass in the world. There's a Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, which parallels the same Rabbi Eliezer. This is Rabbi Eliezer in Horkonus. He was once visited by his students near the end of his life. And, um, and, he, and they said to him, and they said to him, you know, you've lived, uh, you've lived such a long life, such a, such a, a full life. Uh, what, what's, you know, what's an important thing that you want to share with us? And he shared with them this, this point about doing Teshuvah. And they said, well, how do you know when you're going to die? Yeah. How do you know when it's going to happen? He said, that's exactly the point. You don't. Therefore, every day of your life should be a growth-oriented experience where you're introspecting and trying to improve your ways and trying to become a better person. And that was his perspective. And then he has this other teaching about being very, you know, being very cautious around the teachings of the Chachamim. Most of the commentaries assume this is actually a separate teaching because it says there, he said three things and all of a sudden there's four. We're going to leave that one on the side. It's important, but it's not, uh, it seems to be disconnected from, from the first three. So what's behind these three teachings? Honor and dignity that you showed other people. Point number two, not to get easily, easily angry, angry and be in control of your of emotions. And the third is to do Teshuvah. So we'll come back to one of our favorite commentaries we've studied, I think, almost every week from the Maharal. Source number four. The Maharal, in his book, Dera Chayim, which is a commentary in Pirkei Avot, he says the purpose of life. Anybody want to know what the purpose of life is? The Maharal is going to tell us tonight. Is to achieve Shleimut. Shleimut is perfection. 
translated loosely as perfection, he says that's really the purpose of Pirkei Avot. Pirkei Avot teaches us how to perfect ourselves as people. How does one perfect themselves? What, what, what are the areas of a person's life that one should focus on? So he says there's three domains for us to perfect ourselves. Ha'echad, I'm in source number four in the first line, end of the first line. Sheyesh shalem im Hashem yitbarach. What we call ben adam lamakom. Our relationship with God, our relationship with Hashem. That's a very personal thing. How's my davening? How's my chesed? How's my, my relationship with, uh, you know, what I do with my own time? How I, how I, you know, carry myself? So on and so forth. Ben adam lamakom. Second line, Habet, the second one. What we call Ben Adam how I interact with other people, my interpersonal relationships. That's domain number two. And domain number three, what we call Ben Adam Le'atzmo. Ben Adam Le'atzmo, which often, often in our lives gets really pushed to the wayside. We think of Midot, we usually think of Midot, we usually think of our characters, people is how, how we're seen vis-a-vis our interactions with others. But the truth is, we know this, that when we ourselves are in a good place, whether that's in every domain of our life, my, what I like to call mind, body, and soul, every domain of our life, where I am you know, mentally, where I am in terms of my health, and where I am spiritually, each of these domains, the more in balance and in harmony I am within myself, the better I will be mm-hmm. in my relationships with other people. So unfortunately, and this is really what I think the Maral is driving home, we often, you know, are very, maybe, maybe better, most focused perhaps on Ben Adam L'Chavir, or more focused on Ben Adam L'Makom. One of those two usually hits in the first, uh, in, the, in the one-two spot, and we come last, you know, self-care. Um, in every sense of the word, self-care. Self-care in the physical sense, but also in the psychological and, 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 and spiritual and emotional sense as well. And sometimes we need other people to help us with self-care. But, but in terms of working on ourselves and working on our own midot, that's been Adam Natsma. So says the Maharal, you want to have Shleimut as a person, you have to work on yourself in these three areas. Ben Adam Lamakom, Ben Adam L'Chavirom, Ben Adam La'atzmo. Explains the Maharal. That's exactly what Rabbi Eliezer is coming to tell us. Here are the three domains where we can find a way into a life of Shlemut. Third line, If a person has kavod for somebody else, that's the realm of ben adam chavero, then, uh, then you will have, he says, If you treat everybody with respect and you give everybody kavod, the kavod that you would want people to give you, what a world we would live in, right? That would be shleimut, not just, not just in your own life, but that would be shleimut and shalom in the world. So that's in the realm of ben adam l'chavero. So, sounds simple, right? Sounds easy to really truly give kavod to every, to every person. Ukeneged, and then you know, we spoke in weeks past about sometimes the people that we don't want to give kavod to, and the people we don't want to necessarily interact with. Um, the second, second realm, the fourth line here, an angry person, an angry person is in a constant state of turmoil and emotional disaster and distress. It's angry. There's no way for that person to be able to, to be able to succeed in the other areas of life. So if that person is not in control of, of themselves, and we know the difference, a person who's serene, who's calm, who's able to just sort of be balanced, 
Okay, we have our moments, but the idea is to the idea is being adam le'atzmo to really work on that area. And kas and anger is kind of the the seat of of all problems. Okay, kas is uh, uh, in in let's say anywhere in Chazal, anywhere you look, you know, in, in, uh, in commentary in Torah and the Gemara, anger is usually the the, the kind of the lowest or worst kind of uh, midah that we can have, and it's it's connected to all the other bad midot that uh, that we might we might see within ourselves or within other people. And the third realm, the third area, right? And then he quotes like Gemara that we said. The idea is to constantly be engaged in a process of improvement, of self improvement. That's the area of ben adam lamakom. Beautiful, Rabbi Eliezer. Beautiful. He just gave us the the, the sort of the, the instructions for how to for how to achieve shleimut in our lives, but what's the connection to ayin tova? He said at the beginning, right? Rabbi Yochanan Mitzak, I said I want you guys to go out and figure out what's the what is the derech yeshara of life. So he said ayin tova, and then he tells us these three things. So what's the connection? Is there a connection? Can we can we find a connection? Can we find somehow a way to show there's a there's a point of connection? This is an idea that was developed by, uh, by a Rav named Robert Breitowitz, who's a Rav in Toronto. And uh, a really beautiful idea that I want to share. Before we get to the answer, I want to kind of broaden the, the, the discussion and go back to a parsha that we had a few weeks ago, Parsha Tazria Mitzorah, which talks about Tzara'at. You see here in source number five, one of the very interesting and kind of odd cases of Tzara'at is Tzara'at that comes on a person's home. That's called nega habayit, batim, which is tzarat that appears on a person's home. And the Torah describes that when the Jewish people come into the land of Israel, it's here in source number five, and there's going to be tzarat that will come on the homes. Now we usually think of tzarat as something that's a punishment. It seems like the way it's being described here is something that's maybe a little bit Gross. good. Maybe good. Oh. Could be good. Why? Uh, well, why it's a, why you... You're coming into the land. You're coming into the land. You're going to conquer the land. You're going to be given this beautiful land of Israel, and then I'm going to bring Tzarat on your homes. Hold on a second. Why would, we, why would we sign up for that? Okay, let's see in a minute. There's a whole process. What happens? The Kohen will come to the home. You call in the doctor, spiritual doctor. He looks at the walls. He says, I think there's a problem here. You've got to take everything out of the house. Because if there's tzarat, then you're going to destroy the house, everything's going to be inside. The house has to be knocked down if it has a tzarat. It's the only way to heal, to rehabilitate the home. Okay, very interesting. So what is this? Is this good things, a bad thing? What's going on over here? So Rashi brings the, Rashi brings the Midrash, this is source number six. And he says, B'sorahi lahem shenegeim ba'im alehem. He says, Rashi, this is a blessing. It's a blessing in disguise. You won't know right away. You're only going to know once you knock down the house. What's going to happen? All the nations who had been inhabiting, living in Israel, before the Jewish people came in, Eretz Kena'an, they were living there. They had hidden. They knew that the Jews were coming. They knew this was the land of the Jewish people. They were going to come in. So they said, oh, we're going to hide all of our treasures in the walls of the house. They put all of their money. They put all of their belongings and jewels and whatever. They hid it all in the walls of the house. In comes the Jewish people. They, they're now living in the land. Sarah comes in the homes. They have to knock down these homes. And they're like, really, God, this is what you're doing to me? Oh, that was the reason, because there's gold hidden in the walls. You wanted us to be able to find them. So somehow, some way, some silver lining to this whole story, but it's very, very strange. If Hashem wants to give us 
something, money, a reward, something that we, uh, let's call it, that we des- even deserve or earn. He has to do it this way? Like, there's no other way for Hashem to get the money to the people? Like, that was the, that was the whole way? Now you've got to go rebuild your house? And... But we also, interesting, we also find a contradiction to this. If you look in the next source, the Gemara, Masachet Erchim, speaks about Sarat. And it says that Sarat is a punishment for seven different sins. It's actually seven different types of Sarat, each Sarat linked to one or another sin. So Lashon Hara, which is the one that most people, I think, uh, have heard or familiar with. Shvichut Amim, Shvuat Shav, making a false, uh, false testimony. Gilui Arayot, immorality, Gasut Ruach, Gezel, theft. Okay, and Sarut Ha'ayin. Sarut Ha'ayin. What is Tsarut Ha'ayin? Sounds like something we've just been talking about the last couple of minutes. Tsarut Ha'ayin is stinginess. Tsarut Ha'ayin is stinginess. What are we talking about? So think about this. Here's a person, has a beautiful home, and doesn't want to share anything in their home with anybody. The home is always closed. Whatever is going on in the house, nobody knows. Can I borrow your... No, 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 sorry. Like, we're, you know, we're using that. Can, I have that? Can, can we come in? Like, can we come over for a meal? Don't share with anybody. Nobody knows what's going on over there. And, uh, and that's obviously all a gift from Hashem. So what does Hashem do? Creates a situation where now all of your stuff is out on the lawn. Because your house is about to be knocked down by the, by the Tzarat uh, you know, uh, police. And uh, your house is diseased and has all this Tzarat stuff all over it. And you can't live in it anymore. And the Kohen comes and says, sorry guys, you got you to gotta, you gotta pack, up, pack up your stuff and, and get out of the house. So you take all the stuff out to the street, and then everybody in the neighborhood says, oh, oh look, that's a nice car, and a nice this, and a nice... We didn't know. But now we get to see everything that that person had, because that person believed that it all belonged to them. Meaning it belonged to them. It's theirs, but they thought, you know, this is mine. Mine, where did they get that from? It comes from the Pasuk. If you look in the Pasuk, it says over there, Tsaruta ba'asher lo habayit. Right? It's the end of that second line. The person believes it's my house. It's my things. It's... My possessions, my material wealth. Bless you. The person treats the house as if it's theirs, not sharing with others. So that sin is publicized. That sarat goes on us. Now everybody knows what this. That everybody knows exactly why it happened to that person. Right? It's a very, it's a very public. The idea of sarat is a very public uh, display, public shaming of sorts, like you said. You know, the person is sent out to be alone because they can't be with other people because they don't know how to have relationships with other people. We send you out to be on your own. You can't talk to anybody. So you can't have any Lashon Arai. And again, each one, each, each Tzarat manifests itself connected to a specific Midah that it's coming to, uh, to kind of correct. What was that? It's better than right, right. right. Although, although it's interesting because... <laughs> sticks and stick, no, I'm not arguing on that. Sticks and stones, they break my bones. I mean, we say, like, I don't know if you know, that's a North American one, but uh, yeah, I don't want to. Um, but it's probably not North American, it probably comes somewhere else. But the, uh, the um, everything starts in London. Come on. The, uh, the, the idea is that um, we had in last week's parasha, right? Miriam speaks Hashan Hara. Aaron probably also spoke Lashon Hara. Seems, <coughs> seems, like they both, seems like they both did something wrong. Okay? It says, Vatidaber Miriam. So it sounds like she initiated it. She started, but Aaron was either passively 
listening and agreeing and nodding his head. Maybe he didn't say anything. Maybe he did say anything. There's a machlok. Did Aaron get tzarat? Did he not get tzarat? Then Pasuk clearly says Miriam got tzarat. We don't know what happened to Aaron. But some commentaries say that <coughs> Aaron had to watch his sister suffer the tzarat and there was nothing he could do about it. That's a much worse punishment mm-hmm. than actually mm-hmm. getting the tzarat himself. Sure. So, and you're in agreement with that. Right? It makes sense when you think about it. So sometimes the, the psychological, emotional torture of seeing, you know, of seeing, the, uh, seeing something can be a lot more, especially you know, the, the post-traumatic of that. Um, the long-term effect of that, I think, is, uh, is felt uh, in many ways much more. So tsarutain, we have this idea of stinginess. And the question is, so which one is it? Is it a blessing to get tsarat on the house? Or is it a punishment to get Sarat in the house? On the one hand, it sounds like, oh, we're going to go and we're going to get all this money if the house is broken down, all the money that was hidden in the walls, which sounds like a blessing. Except everyone sees it, so if you're quite stingy about that. Right, but, every, but, every, but, every, but, every, but everybody was you know, busy uh, clearing out their walls. But well, yeah, I hear the... Were they entitled to all of their heads? I mean, were they entitled to the things that they yeah. left interesting. I mean, I guess, I guess you say they left it ownerless, right? They didn't think... Well, they thought maybe one day we would come back and reclaim it. Yeah, they didn't leave it there for us. Does it worry you they could misconstrue that now in this day and age? Yeah, yeah. It's like the you know the Egyptians put the Jewish people on trial for stealing all the money from Egypt, you know, three thousand five hundred years ago. It's like you guys took all of our stuff out of the country and you never gave it back. It's a real thing. There's a real trial. I'm gonna say, yeah. Okay. So it's a it's a it's a good question. It's a good question. Sure. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I like the question. I like the question. Yeah, question's better than the answer. But the but yeah. the, the idea is as follows. The idea is as follows. So let, let's try to let's try to make some uh, wrap some of these points together. We have uh, two pieces of a parasha that we're going to read in a few weeks. It's in Zvarim Parachet, Parashat Ekev, and it speaks over there about the 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 incredible. The incredible wealth, the incredible material that we're going to Bezrat Hashem be able to have once we come into the land of Israel. And what Hashem says is, you're going to come in, you're going to plant, you're going to build cities, you're going to have an economy, it's going to be a wonderful thing. But don't forget, don't forget, don't think that everything that's going to happen and all the blessing and all the good material that's going to come your way is just popped out of the sky. Remember where it comes from. Let's read through the Psukim. Right? Be careful. Be guarded. Don't forget about Hashem. You're going to eat. You're going to be full. You're going to build beautiful homes. You're going to have beautiful homes. You'll have lots of cattle and, and belongings. You'll live a good life. You'll have wealth. You'll have material possessions. Whatever... Whatever you whatever you'd like, you'll have in, in, in increase. The ram levavecha. What what's chas v'sham could happen? Person gonna say, shachachta Hashem elokecha. What do I need God for when I have when I have when I have all, all I need? I have everything in my life. The ram levavecha. Your heart's gonna become, you know, full. Okay, you'll become haughty. You'll become arrogant. You'll become uh, 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 egotistical. Don't forget, God took you out of Egypt, but you're going to forget because I have everything I need. And you're going to say, and you're going to say in your heart, I'm in the third line, I did this. I built this home. I went to work. I went to school. I got an education. I worked hard. I invested. I made good, good stock choices. 
not bad ones. Everything that I did was, was me. Everything that I have, the money in my pocket, my home, my family, all the blessings and all the good things I have in my life. And you'll say that. This is a, this is a nivoah, right? This is a, Moshe's talking, they're in the desert still. Moshe's telling the people, don't, this is going to happen. You're going to get to the land and it will be good. It's going to be good. You're going to have a good life there. And you're going to have everything you need. Don't forget that God is the one God's the one who wins your wars. God's the one who gives you the ability to live in the land, to be in the land. So level number one is don't give credit to yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to celebrate our hishtadlut. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to say, well, I work for a living and I put bread on the table and I... I, you know, I, I contribute to, to, you know, the ability for my kids to go to school and to, to live in this country and to have a car and to go on vacation and do whatever I do. I work hard for that. So I shouldn't feel like I had some part of doing that. No, you, you are supposed. It's okay. That's, that's not what this is saying. This is saying don't just give credit to yourself, meaning you're allowed to, allowed to celebrate your, your successes, but realize that even the talent that you have to be able to go out and have that job and be able to do what you're doing is also from Hashem. So, V'zachartat Hashem Elokech is not saying ignore the fact that you put in effort, put in Hishtadu. Celebrate it, great. You should, have, you should have all the wonderful things that you work hard for. But the bottom line has to be, and the starting point has to be realizing not only where your goodness comes from, where your blessings come from, but even where the ability to have those things come from. That's point number one. Point number two is in the next parak. What's going to happen? You'll come into the land of Israel. The land of Israel, Parshat Shlach, we're going to read this week. It's impossible to conquer the land of Israel. Giants, big armies. Who are we? We're the Jewish people, a bunch of slaves. We don't know how to fight wars. We don't know how to, we don't know how to do any of this. They're much bigger than us. How are we going to do that? So then there's going to be things in our lives, says the Torah, that we're, we're going to clearly know this wasn't through my efforts. I had nothing. The only way this could have happened is through a miracle win the Six-Day War. Like, come on. Like, go conquer the land of Israel. There's no way that we could have conquered the land of Israel. It had to have been done miraculously. Of course, we had to fight the war, but we knew that it wasn't going to happen just with our efforts. So that's, that's another level. So level number one is thinking, I worked hard, I got a paycheck, and then I spent money with that, with that paycheck on, on... Great, celebrate that. You worked hard, you went to work, you went to school, great. But remember where your talent and where that comes from. But the level number two is the things that, that where it's, it's, it's obvious that your efforts wouldn't have got you the reward, like the land of Israel. Okay? In the land of Israel, we know the enemy was so strong. We can't say, we can't say this was my hand, this was my strength, this was my, this was my, uh, you know, my technological uh, uh, power. But maybe we can say, what could we say? Look in the second pasuk. There's no other way that this could have happened, but someone could fall into the trap and say, well, you know why this happened? Because, uh, you know, my family, uh, we come from a generation of, of, of holy people and, 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 and uh, people that, that were balei tzedakah, and we may even give credit not to ourselves, we'll give credit to something that something that came before us. So we have to be careful on these, on these two levels. But even with this, the error may be not in giving 
credit, but in defining success in terms of one's material accomplishments. That seems to be what the Torah is saying over here. In other words, in other words, when we think about what is success, the prophet says, Yirmiyahu writes this in, in source number 10, Ko amar Hashem, al yitalel chacham mechokmato, ve'al yitalel gibor b'gvurato, al yitalel ashir be'osho, a person goes up to Shemaim after 120 years in this, on this earth, and God says, well, what did you accomplish? He said, well, I had a beautiful home, and we went on you know, six vacations a year, and uh, we, you know, we did this, and we did that, and sort of like, Really? That's what's, that's, that's what's considered a worthy life, right? A, a worthy life is called it. So how do we value our worth? And how do we value our life and what's considered a successful life? A life that's, you know, a worthy life? It says the Navi, Ki What are we going to praise? Haskel v'yado Hashem chesed Hashem. The Prophet says, very clearly, what matters to Hashem? It's not how you spent your money or how much money you had or what you spent it on, but well, I guess a little bit of what you spent it on. But it's it's uh, it's about how you lived your life. It's about what you did with your time, what you did in your community, what you did in this world to make it a more just, a more equitable, a more kind place. That's what the Navi says. So, what's a good and worthy life? Well, Rabbi Eliezer told us, kavod to other people. Ben adam lechavero, ben adam lemakom, to work on ourselves every day, and ben adam leatzmo, and ben adam leatzmo to work on to work on ourselves and to work on our relationship with Hashem and to work on our on our relationship with other people. So where are we putting the definition of a success in our life? That's an open-ended question for each of us that we should all ask ourselves. Where do we put the definition of success? How do we so so how do we tie this all back to what we started with? The, the, the root of stinginess, tzarut ayin, ayin ra'ah. So let's talk about two mistakes, and we'll wrap up in the next three minutes. So this is a story that Robert Breitowitz told. He was, he was living in California, and he was raising money for the, for the yeshiva. So someone called him up and said, Rabbi, and this is a person who would give, give a donation every single year, called him up and said, Rabbi, I have great news. My wife won the lottery. $10,000 won from the lottery. And he says, great. He says, I want to donate the whole thing to the yeshiva. So this is a, a large donation, not much more than he had ever given before. He says, come by the house and I'll, you'll pick up the check. So the rabbi comes by the house. The husband comes out, hands the rabbi the check, and he says, I want you to know that the reason why this was so easy for us to give this, to give this money was because... It was clearly from Hashem. We didn't earn this money. This wasn't something we worked for. It was a lottery. We won it in the lottery. So it's so much easier to give that away, of course, than money that a person earned. But in truth, if we stop and say, is that really true? That $10,000 you could have spent on a vacation, on a new piece of furniture. On... Does it actually make a difference how the money came to the person? No. But in a person's head... We get in our space of, well, I worked for 14 hours a day to earn that money versus, but if they're both from Hashem, if we really believe they're both from Hashem, ain't have doubt. It's a very powerful, very powerful point that uh, many people, unfortunately, we fall into that, we fall into that trap, thinking certain things are from Hashem, certain things are my own, 
and, and we become possessive over one more than over the other one. So that's sort of one, one point. The second point, sort of in the world of, of, uh, of athletes, okay? You have one person who's making 30 million pounds a year. Uh, I don't know what's the equivalent in uh, Rand. Uh, a million. It's got to be a lot. It's got to be a lot more, a lot more, yeah. <laughs> Times that by a lot. Okay. Canadian dollars, whatever it would be. Uh, and then he, and then, you know, the, the next best player in the league just signs a new contract for one million, you know, more than that person's contract. And we're talking already on a level where you don't even know what to do with all that money. You're sort of like, what are you going to do? 31, 32 million, so an extra million. So now this person feels, well, I got to go renegotiate with my team. Like I'm going to threaten to leave because I'm clearly, you know, the better player, best player in the league. I have to go back to my agents and go back to the coach and say, well, if you want me to play next season, we got to renegotiate. I got to bump up my salary because this guy's making more money than me. What does he need that extra money for? He doesn't need the extra money. Well, what's the issue of begrudging that, that higher salary? Because this person, the value and self-worth of this person is defined solely by that number. Sees that number is what defines me. So if, it's, if, I'm, if the, my number is less than that person's number, then I'm clearly not so valuable. I'm clearly not so, don't have such a high uh, uh, worthiness. So, so if the person asks himself, I make 31 and he makes 32, that's my value. That's how that person sees himself. Now it's very painful for that person when they have that, when they have that moment. So tsarut ayin is, 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 is not being able to part with my material possessions because it represents my worth. That's, a, that's an error. In other words, stinginess, a person's not willing to share, right? we're going to get back to the tsarat in the house in a moment, it's an error that's rooted in defining self-worth in terms of material. So how should we define our self-worth? Shleimut. We know the areas. And... <laughs> The happiness of a person to be able to say, what I have and what I've earned, it's all a gift from Hashem. If it's time to give it to tzedakah or to use it in this way, to use it in that way, whatever it is, it's no problem. But I want to be able to know that in my life, how I am, I'm going to work on myself in these three areas. A person would have a much easier, uh, easier time giving it away. So when, Re- so when Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said to his students, find, find the, the straight path, find the best path of life. So Rabbi Yezer comes and says, Ayin tova. Have an Ayin Tova. It's not, just about, it's not just the concept of being generous and being, you know, enjoying what other people have. Ayin Ra'a means not to define our success in a physical fashion, but in a spiritual fashion. So and how do we define that? He said, So let's answer the question of it could be that the person who comes into this home deserves the money that's in that wall. Legally, hopefully it's legal. And they deserve that money. What's the problem? The minute that wall gets broken down, they're going to pull out that diamond and gold and say, wow, this is great. This is worth this and it belongs to me. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're going to think, Magi Ali, entitled, belongs to me, it's mine. So Hashem, the way to give, the person may have earned it, it may have deserved it. It could be that the person really deserves that good blessing in their life. But this is a way to prevent the person from deserving it, but not thinking that they actually were the ones who caused it to become theirs. So now Hashem says, okay, all your stuff out on the street, 
So I'm going to remind you, you, you might have earned it, it might be yours, you might, have, you might have fully deserved this gift from me, but I'm going to remind you that the reason why you got it is because Hashem decided that that's, that's good for you, that's something that you need in your life. And therefore, the tzarat on the house is a, way of, is a way of rewarding a person for what they have worked for, for what they've earned for in their life, but at the same time, limiting their ability to, to think that it was, it was something that, uh, that fully came from something that they specifically did. So, in conclusion, this, uh, this teaching of Rebbe Liezer, I think, is, uh, is quite, quite powerful to just sort of turn, to our, turn inward, inward, you know, within ourselves and within our own families, and to really ask that question, right? What do we, how do we call it? To live a worthy life. How do we, a worth life, right? The idea of worth, the idea of value, and how we define success, and to kind of look at that critically and say, well, where am I? Where do I stand? Where do each of us stand in these areas? Ben Adam Makom, Ben Adam Ben Adam and Bezrat Hashem. In these areas, we uh, we work on and improve. We can uh, bring shleimut into our own lives and the lives of our homes and, uh, and all of our families and communities. Nice.